0: I'm Andy. And I'm Lev. And you're listening to
1: Snakes in the Garden. So, I'm tender when it comes to my time. I like one thing to happen after the other. Yeah. Um, Perhaps
0: perhaps I'll I'll experience that part of you someday.
1: (laughs) Do you find me chaotic in general? No, Do you find never. my energy like okay? No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> well, you know, and the teasing often has a a a root of sorts. You know, uh, did you just say ru- <sighs> root? Root. <laughs> root. Well, and I'll just say briefly, really quick. I've been hearing a lot of observations of myself from people in my life, where I'm like, what? What are you talking about? I come off that way to you. This is that's how you see me. And I think that's valuable information, even if at the end of the day, I disagree or I'm not going to do anything about it. Right. Um, I need the multifaceted mirrors of all my people to fully understand myself. Yep. And on that note. I am going to read from the LF and other stories, which is a collection of uh, short stories By Jorge Luis Borges, a writer who was born in the late, late 1800s in Buenos Aires. And in as much as I can tell, writing was just his thing. He was not a scientist. He was not a philosopher. He was not a uh, religious leader. Yet all of those themes show up in his writing overwhelmingly. I trust you. Um, and this is this is a short story entitled paradiso 31 108 diodorus siculus tells the story of a god that is cut into pieces and scattered over the earth which of us walking through the twilight or retracting some day in our past has never felt that we have lost some infinite thing Mankind has lost a face, an irrecoverable face, and all men wish they could be that pilgrim, dreamed in the Empyrean under the rose, who goes to Rome and looks upon the veil of St. Veronica and murmurs in belief, My Lord Jesus Christ, very God, is this indeed thy likeness in such fashion wrought? There is a face in stone beside a path, an inscription that reads, The True Portrait of the Holy Face of the Christ of Jan. If we really knew what that face looked like, we would possess the key to the parables and know whether the son of the carpenter was also the son of God. Paul saw the face as a light that struck him to the ground. John, as the sun when it shines forth in all its strength, Teresa de Jesus, many times, bathed in serene light, although she could never say with certainty what the color of its eyes was. Those features are lost to us, as a magical number created from our customary digits can be lost, as the image in a kaleidoscope is lost forever. We can see them and not yet grasp them. A Jew's profile in the subway might be the profile of Christ. The hands that gave us back change at a ticket booth may mirror those that soldiers nailed one day to the cross. Some feature of the crucified face may lurk in every mirror. Perhaps the face died, faded away, so that God might be all faces. Who knows but that tonight we may see it in the labyrinths of dream, and not know tomorrow that we saw it.
0: Why did that jump out at you, that passage?
1: Um, I suppose for three reasons. One, I as a person regularly experience a sense of being lost or seeking something and being unable to define what it is that I'm looking for and knowing that I can't define it. So having to live with the the really frustrating feeling of understanding that even if I found what I was looking for, I might not know it when I have it. Um, and what i'm seeking varies what i'm seeking can just be the universal human desire to connect and be loved and understood it could be like belonging or homeness and i think um in these times these times that we experience right like we're on the precipice of a war as though we haven't always been on the precipice of a war and the the need to comprehend violence and loss and power and struggle at that grander scale makes one as a human feel really insignificant and powerless it for me for me it makes me it makes me realize that there are forces that are bigger than myself oh yeah and and those forces aren't always kind forces right like a militaristic force is a force bigger than me i as a singular person can't walk up to an army and stop them from launching their missiles or whatever, and it also makes me wonder i I, I don't consider myself a religious person, but I do consider myself a spiritual one and there there's these underlying que- questions of meaning of what's important, what's worthwhile, and how do I engage with these big concepts when i don't know who I am or what I 'm looking for. <laughs>
0: I love the wordsmithing of this author, and you know, I have to report that when, within the first two sentences, essentially the idea, the imagery that I captured uh, about God broken into pieces and spread across the earth, I immediately began to think of the Transfiguration and Jesus at the Last mm-hmm. Supper, and mm-hmm. um, and feeding the five thousand, and and what that means liturgically you know within the the practice and then sure enough you started to mention you know the name of Jesus and and clearly the orientation of this author's interest is in the Catholic tradition and the saints Mm -hmm. but the themes of the call like you know we just had this episode with Cass where Mm -hmm. she made reference to the hero's journey and the call Mm -hmm. and in nearly all of the works of the theologians that I enjoy reading from a number of disciplines that I heard Krishnamurti's voice um, <laughs> saying, what is it to seek? You know? <laughs> like I actually, yes. uh-huh. because his whole approach to stimulating thought was to stay in the realm of curiosity. And right. um, I don't know, I can't say that I, I've been able to sample swaths of human beings on where they are at in their seeking at this very existentially unstable feeling time Mm -hmm. i feel grateful to be alive during this time though because i want to experience fully what it is to be human Mm. and and to reach new capacities of awareness and self-regulation and frankly I don't know of a better way to do it than a pandemic immediately followed by <laughs> some you know tyrannical stuff going on across the world yeah and I don't know how many people are seeking though uh I do know that uh, it's the minority uh of people I'm not saying that human beings can't identify with that experience but I wonder how many people are getting up each day working at staying on the path of seeking or are they even I find it in myself at parts of the day abandoning that journey and and finding it much more convenient to just embrace a bunch of groupthink ideas about what's happening and sure. and not have almost like an ideologue there's an allure to that because it's convenient yeah. and easy yeah. um, th- yeah. that's that's the the thing there's an allure to it because uh, one can feel supported and in community. The discipline of questioning everything is not an easy discipline.
1: What you're talking about actually makes me think of something that Cass said in our previous episode, and I won't be able to, to repeat it exactly, but I can paraphrase, but it was this notion of of opposites in the universe of yeah. poles of balance polarities uni- I think was the word polarities. she used yeah. yeah that's the word she used and do i know that you know this cl- this sample of humanity is seeking no i don't know that i don't always see that reflected however i do see that people are lost and i think that being lost is, in some sense, as a prerequisite to seeking, and you can't always exist in a state of seeking that would be too much. I think there also must be a a polarity to that where perhaps you believe you've found something, whether or not that thing is the right thing for you, and there's also somewhere in the middle where you haven't found it and you're not seeking. you're just sitting with that experience of being lost or adrift and we know that feeling lost is a really deeply uncomfortable feeling. Oh, and man. as a society, as a culture, we hate sitting with our uncomfortable feelings. What do so many people do when they're feeling lost? They seek whatever kind of immediate gratification might relieve them of that burden. And I, I don't say this to shame anyone who sees no, that. No, I love that you said <laughs> it that way. That's true. We relief. all do that you know, if I'm feeling lost, what might my instincts be? My instincts might be maybe I will go out and have a drink and just get this feeling out of my head because it's bringing me down. Maybe I will reach out to a friend who tells me, I love you. I'm here with you. And as you mentioned, we seek ideologues for a variety of reasons. Like we are in this information age and I I mean, I personally haven't been able to engage super deeply with the notion of this conflict between Ukraine and Russia because I feel so oversaturated and lost in the sea of information. And so much of it comes from sources that I care for and respect while simultaneously conflicting. So it means that I have to do real work to sift through this knowledge and decide what I believe. I have to intentionally decide what my values are i have to understand the history of these regions i have to understand some of the individual subcultural or political beliefs of people within that region like right i understand what a lot of people believe in the west i understand the far left and the far right and the the liberal and the republican and the centrist like i have a vague grasp of what these groups believe and how those beliefs might lend them a certain opinion and conflict. But as far as this one, like, I have no idea. I do need something to lean on unless I want to spend, you know, uh, an undergraduate or PhD level of time diving into these topics. So how does one find the balance between that?
0: Yeah. Um, <laughs> for me, there's a, I have a personal curiosity with all of it because there are f- friends of mine who are going to go there and participate Mm -hmm. in the legion invitation that was made by the ukrainian president uh, that he was putting together an international legion of volunteers to help the ukrainian army and
1: well um, yeah i I have friends that are asking lady they're
0: (laughs) well they have far less questions they're gonna go to fight alongside ukrainian soldiers they've seen all they need to see as people who have deep experience in war and in as much as one might say that there's archetype in that and that they're acting from a sense of anticipated support of the underdog mm-hmm. um and their experience of freedom, they're not waiting. They're they're doing the past in other words, they're not giving this a lot of thought. They're like, Okay, we're gonna go protect the people who are invading uh or being invaded. Mm-hmm. To protect them from from tyranny and to protect them from loss of life and property from a neighbor that has just decided to walk in, that that in and of itself Mm -hmm. is reason for them to put home life, family life, relationship on hold and go be the part of their craft and archetype that they are in that setting. And they're going. And they're calling me to let me know that they're going. Yeah, and, uh, they that's see heavy.
1: Themselves or their values in that conflict, and they want to take action because they won't be able to live with themselves if they don't. Like, how can what what do your values matter if you aren't living them? Essentially, right? right. And I respect that. Yeah. Um, and you know i I think that I think that it's reasonable and human that not every cause on this planet can call to you. I think it is reasonable to say. I see that that over there is a problem and I don't think that I can engage meaningfully in that. And then you see another thing that is a problem and you're like, this, this is where I feel like I really can take action where I would be best suited to support or where I just, you know, my heart is is burning and I need to do something about that feeling. And I, I've experienced that, like this conflict in particular, again, I'm not incredibly well informed and I have not taken any actions um and I think of God, what year are we in? I think of in like mid to late twenty twenty one when the news about Afghanistan came out for whatever reason that was a thing that just hit me. I was like, "Oh my God, there are refugees from Afghanistan who are coming to live in Tacoma, like I'm gonna find a way to give them an airport ride. Yeah. like I'm gonna get these people supply." And I, I have always had a soft spot for the Middle East for reasons that maybe I should dig into a little more deeply. Um, and part of that just comes from being a little better informed. That was something that I studied in college. And I really value a lot of the works of art coming from the Middle East. You know, there's there's a sense of like, how much does culture influence you to make these decisions? Right. Um, yeah, one can't do it all but one does feel like one needs to do something.
0: Yeah. And I love the way that you just expressed that, you know, that there are causes that we can respond to in an almost, you know, impulsive and clear as day way. You know, oh, wow, I identify with this and I'm going to set to work there. And You know, good for you. Good for you, yeah. for, for for anybody who does that. You know, I feel passionate about, people living with homelessness. I live pas- I feel mm-hmm, passionate mm-hmm. about, you know, uh minority-owned business owners who need venture capital. Whatever. Like, yeah, yeah get involved, man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I
1: think I I think it's worth saying that it's okay to pick your battles.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> that you will have to pick your battles. That you can't fight for every cause. And in picking your battles, it means you'll have to say no to some battles. And that's a um, weird
0: feeling isn't it to say no to so someone and and to to sit with that you know I'm not going to get involved in that for these reasons and think of the snakes in the garden that 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 lets out because those could be subject to criticism ridicule by others why aren't you getting involved in this this is so uh-huh. important uh-huh. you know um and I'm sure there are some people who feel that way who felt that way about uh, although I I don't even know how important it is to to try to even bring them to a number. I would just simply say phenomenologically and statistically, the likelihood that there are people who are disengaged from the the Ukraine crisis is probably a number, and, and people who are disengaged from the crisis we had a year ago in Afghanistan and the need to provide safe harbor to refugees
1: right and then immediately before that uh between palestine and israel um and the question of sovereignty yeah um humanitarian crisis in syria like there's just all of that and i think you're right like there is there absolutely is social backlash for either not engaging or not being seen to engage or take action and that's 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 very two pronged right like I think it is easiest and most comfortable for us as humans to see things as black and white. We love a clear dichotomy. we don't always like getting in the weeds. It takes a lot of work. It takes an emotional toll. We like to see that there's a good side and an evil side. We like to see that there's an oppressor and an underdog and I think those those situations do exist absolutely I'm not the black and to white ones? statement that, yeah i'm not sure tr- well, I'm not trying to make the statement that. Well, nobody's really just oppressed, and nobody's really just oppressed, just an oppressor, and everyone's committed harms. Like that's not the oh. the centrist argument that I'm trying to make. But um, I guess the the point that I'm trying to make is there is nuance, and it's important to explore it. Gosh, there's nuance
0: in everything, and and my <laughs> we, wife we and I not, have yeah. <laughs> yeah we have spirited debates over that. You know,
1: good. That's a foundation for a good relationship. It, I think the it capacity is capacity to explore those ideas together.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't call the way that we go about it exploring, but exploring <laughs> happens to be, because you know my wife, well,
1: she's... Well, you're still together, so clearly yeah, well, something's working out. <laughs> I, it is, it's
0: true. You know, um, I I develop an appreciation for the the appraisal at times that there are pieces of things that are just simple, and I don't have to apply nuance and analysis to everything that I do, which is how she experiences me. And I think I help her develop an appreciation for nuance. There are times where she and I collide about the best practice or approach in a particular situation. And somewhere on the other side of that, I guess it could be argued we develop deeper appreciation for the other's worldview. But um, (laughs) it could be argued, he says. Yeah. Yeah. I guess for me, the thing that keeps me central in a responsibility to remain engaged in curiosity circuitry and novelty circuitry and commitment to self-regulation are certain practices I do to the extent where, you know, my new business enterprise or what's happening in the world is really not, is really, I'm not on a swing managing those things going back and forth. I'm not on a pendulum. I'm fairly, I'm fairly regulated through all of it. And I'm very grateful to God and the universe for giving me an opportunity to not be thrown around with the tide and the current and having some navigatory capacity. And I have to say there are things that I do that keep me reasonably centered. I do do devotion. Yeah,
1: let's, let's share those. I mean I, yeah. that seems like the 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 useful skills, the takeaways like what do you do to help keep you grounded when you're grounded and how do those practices shift when you find yourself confronted with a wave of new information or an opposing philosophy or a complex challenge or so forth.
0: Yeah, that's a beautiful way to to describe what I'm trying to say here, probably in an overly nuanced way. So, um every morning I do not touch when I wake up I I I don't do this perfectly, but I'm I'm pretty good about it.
1: You're practicing.
0: Every morning I do not touch an electronic device for the first 30 minutes. And that time is dedicated to connecting with my wife and my kids, if they're here, and my dog. Uh, I read a devotional from My Utmost for His Highest, which is authored by Oswald Chambers. Hmm. And it's a daily devotional, so each, each devotion is for a particular day on the calendar. And I give thought to that, and, uh, and then I pick up the Daily Stoic. And I read the devotional for the day out of that, which is generally a quote from Marcus Aurelius or Seneca or Epictetus, and then some commentary by Ryan Holiday. What's interesting in that is um, I kind of put myself into the, when I read the my utmost devotional, mm-hmm. I'm into selflessness and mm-hmm. God consciousness. And when I'm in the Stoic book, I'm into what side of the street can that I'm responsible for to work <laughs> on or clean up to set the stage for some kind of god consciousness so
1: mm-hmm. duality love yeah
0: it. The, so that's my approach every morning and then every night when I started journaling I used to journal a lot I used to journal mm-hmm. a lot about everything that was wrong and bad and a source of difficulty uh <laughs> almost every journal entry now which is inspired is much briefer than it used to be and generally, it's an expression of gratitude to my creator, and it's a, an expression of thoughtfulness and prayer for others and the world. That's mm-hmm. what those entries are now. I do that pretty religiously, for lack of a different word, every day. <laughs> and in between all of that, I try to stay as focused on doing meaningful work and not worrying about if we're going to make it or not. If we're going to make ends meet or not, if, if I'm doing the right thing or not, I just stay focused on what I have to do. And so far I have to say, and and like I mentioned to you earlier, when we were offline, we're looking at some upcoming change for us as a family this year. And mm-hmm. so far, all of this has been working. I've been, I've been able to feel grounded, not mm-hmm. feel subject to the, the tides and the current. Uh, and very grateful for that.
1: The first thing that came to mind when you named all of your practices is that for me, I've categorized a lot of those as evidence based practices. Ah. So there's a couple components that really stick out to me. One, you have mornings and evenings. Yep. Those are times of transition between one really significant activity and another. Your sleeping state where you're recovering, you're building new neural pathways, you're doing all these things that are important for your body and your mind, and then moving into activity. And then of course, the evenings where it's the inverse, where you've just had a bunch of experiences, and you're winding, your brain is winding down and getting ready to process those and make sense of those and generate little stories you can tell yourself later. And I think I've mentioned this before when we were workshopping a um an interactive program that we plan on delivering. Yes. Uh, but there's developmental psychology that teaches us, especially with children, that transition times are so important. Not only having a period of time where you're intentionally moving from one activity to the other, but naming what those are and how long those are. Because your body and your brain do need that space to get out of one state of being and start moving toward another state of being. And as an adult, you're more easy, easily able to quickly adapt to that change, but that also depends on how well your brain was able to develop as a child and how well your needs were able to be met as a child. And you know, we talk about adverse childhood experiences a lot, like experiencing those can dramatically interfere with your ability to respond well to transitions. So if you're a type of person who is easily destabilized by change or a sudden conflict or you think you're having a great day and then you get a flat tire and your life is wrecked, like what you're experiencing there is a difficulty between transitions. So those are really important spaces to note. The other one, like gratitude journaling, Mm. is an evidence-based practice. It is evidence-based in... Uh, modern psychology and neuroscience, it's evidence based in Buddhist practice. It's evidence based in religious practice. There is something that happens to a person when they make the attempt to think kind thoughts, grateful thoughts about themselves or others or the world. A A prayer, so often, if, say, I'm wishing goodwill for this person I know, is going through a tough time. One tangible benefit to that practice is that it brings me to a state of greater peace. It brings me to a state of greater centeredness to wish well on others. And as a as a youth peer, when I was a peer counselor for youth, I had so many uphill battles getting a 16-year-old to gratitude journal. Like, it's one of those... It's gotten kind of pigeonholed into this cheesy new age sort of grounds where it's like, oh, you want me to gratitude journal? Like, what's next? Are we going to take a deep breath? So it's a little cheesy. But I, too, I gratitude journal. Um, And then the, the third thing, the other thing that stood out to me was you are practicing ritualistic behavior. And I cannot speak highly enough to rituals. We all have rituals, right? Even if they're shitty ones, um, or ones that aren't good for us, or you know, w- I think about smoking so much, and I don't. You know, I'm not here to demonize smokers. I vape, whatever. But that is a ritualistic activity.
0: It's a lot more I than ate. that, but it's definitely it's got a lot ritualism. More than that. Th- that's part of it, sure.
1: Yeah, and one thing people get from that is ritualism. Like, Why else do we see people who are in recovery from any one thing or another really quickly jump to replacing that activity with another activity? Mm. Why is that so often offered as a suggestion of just fill it with something else? We love rituals. We love regularity. We love knowing what to expect. And in times of extreme... Crisis and chaos. Sometimes the only people who can give us something regular and stable is ourselves.
0: You know, Lev. I, as I'm listening to all of this, I'm thinking about, particularly in your last few moments, what we know about safety and and violence prevention in care settings. Where there is structured activity, there is less violence. Where there is unstructured Mm -hmm. time, there is more violence. Mm -hmm. When there is structured activity, there is more progress. When there is unstructured activity, there is less progress and more uh, episodes of crisis and Mm -hmm. backsliding or delayed movement through the system. You're speaking about phenomena that contact so many areas of existential life. I love listening to you articulate your worldview. Because I know your worldview is shared, but you make the ability to access it and understand it so easy the way you express it. I agree. Well, I
1: think the practices are hard enough that I don't want to make the explaining of it <laughs> any harder, you know? Yeah. Because it is challenging to practice these things. That's why we call it a practice. Because it's not always going to work out and shit's going to get in your way, right?
0: When it comes to the journaling for me at night, I have to say that the transition to expressions of gratitude were not something that I had to deliberately, consciously do. It just started happening. Mm. Whoa. And I think there are times when it's convenient because I don't have to necessarily talk about something uncomfortable in my journal so I can use an expression of gratitude to make the entry for the night. That's really in the minority. That doesn't happen very often at all. Most of the time, the expressions of gratitude are inspired and improvised and and in the moment and feel right. And I feel good after the entry. There probably have been a couple of times where I did that and perhaps could have elaborated on some other drama of the day. But, you know, <laughs> th- there's no shortage of that um, in the world. And I'm finding this approach far more peace instilling. I get some peace. And in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, those are fundamental principles that you outlined. Absolutely. Fundamental. And people who have long, excuse me, long-standing meaningful sobriety, engage in those things that you've described the same kinds of things, and they work for them.
1: Right. Right.
0: Snakes in what the garden.
1: He? Snakes in the garden, my dude. <laughs> oh, buddy. Let's break for a minute. Yeah, okay. We're back. We're back. I'm eating something ridiculous. Um, The standout piece for me from all of that You know, whether we're talking about, oh, I'm journaling, I'm going to AA, I'm reading something in the morning, I'm making space to connect. There was one cool thing that all of these things have in common when I hear them, and it's intentionality. And I'm always trying to make my tendency to explain shit more accessible to people who hate woo-woo, because I was one of them. And the word intentionality really has that vibe. What am I talking about? Doing things on purpose. Yeah. Making time and space for yourself to do things on purpose. Yep. And with intentionality, you get this whole universe of goodness, which is I'm intentionally considering my philosophical or practical position on this issue. I'm intentionally thinking about the impact of my words before I speak them. I'm intentionally not going to look at my phone, even if it's just for 10 minutes. I will say, like, I gratitude journal, I, it didn't come as naturally to me as it sounded like it came to you. I had to force myself to, here's what I'm going to gratitude, like, I'm going to do this. Here is the format. I'm going to do it at this time. There's intentionality there. And I was dragging myself through that. Like, the first couple lines of things that I'm grateful for, I'm like, okay, the sun, this one friend. Warm socks, you know, just like, oh, this is real hard. But as you get into it, your brain will pick up on the fact that you're trying to do something on purpose and it will start coming in to help you out. Maybe not in that session, but maybe three or four days later, you will find that you are filled with gratitude for stuff. And maybe it won't make your problems magically go away. But there's something really significant there.
0: Well, the likelihood is that your problems won't go away. But how mm-hmm. you meet yeah, them is, is going to change. And when you describe intentionality that way, I think a fair question to ask is, you're using a particular word to describe the phenomena, but is that does that really get to the cause of intentionality? What the practice of developing intentionality is made of? What's mm-hmm. it born out of? Is it born out of a need? Uh, an impulse to change. Is it born out of suffering? Is it Does it come from discomfort? Does it come from the pursuit of wanting to feel more enlightened, to seek as we started this conversation with? Is intentionality, mm. you know, kind of inextricably linked with seek- seeking? I think it is. Mm. I, Good I, question. I don't know of a seeking personality that isn't doing something with intention. Although I would contend that I think that conscious intention can eventually become unconsciously expressive because Mm -hmm. that's just
1: the end the end goal a desirable end state when your rituals your practices become such that when you wake up you don't have to think okay now it's my time to do this you naturally just need to go do it because you're habituated to it
0: yeah yeah and and in so many ways I almost wonder if the monastic life is uh, an expression of that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, vespers in the morning, breakfast, gardening in the afternoon, crafting, afternoon mass, mealtime, individual prayer time, evening mass, dinner, like, you know, like all of these things that monastic life includes. And in some cases, not speaking. I think it's Corey Mascara who spent Many years, like Thomas Merton, as a monk, not talking at all. Uh, and then, you know, in Corey's case, you know, he's got an Instagram channel. You know, Thomas couldn't stop writing after that period of being a Trappist for many years. So, and listening to jazz and hanging out with the Dalai Lama, like they were very close friends. and mm-hmm. um, But I think at the end of the day, Lev, you, you described... So much of, I think, what we're trying to confer here best with seeking and intentionality seems to have linked with it in a reliable way states of peace and capacities for self-regulation that make them attractive in the midst of a world where our information streams are all oriented toward racing to the bottom of the brainstem, as Tristan Harris would say.
1: You love that quote.
0: Yeah, I I, I do love that quote because I think that's what's going on. And Mm -hmm. I think if it had to be distilled to a central idea that our free society has built within it this mode of collecting information for human beings that isn't pure, it's subject to free market. And Mm -hmm. this isn't a dig at free market, this just happens to be the (laughs) society that we're we're in and we've built a lot of constructive things around it that have resulted in innovation and feats of human achievement. And I'm not discrediting that at all. I'm simply saying that it becomes almost impossible to get news about what's happening around the world without the influence of the presentation of that information having (laughs) its own intentionality
1: right it's right, its right. own
0: intention its own design and
1: stories are filtered through the teller absolutely yeah
0: and then how the hell do we find peace in the midst of all of that you know the invasion of ukraine the refugee crisis in in afghanistan you know the the transition from pandemic crisis to living with pandemic and how that's going to influence the way people are organized you know, throughout the United States in the years to come, I think it's pretty clear that there's a large constituency of people that are going to prioritize their individual choice and freedom over over a plan uh, for people to engage in a practice that on its face, in some cases, makes a lot of very strong sense and in other ways remains very controversial. People regretting, you know, taking the vaccine or, or, or health problems emerging. I, I happen to know a number of people that are having adverse reaction and, and life is not good for them and they wish they didn't do it. And, uh, so that's, that's just where, that's where we are how do we find peace in all of that friend? I, th- I think that's the, the question of our time.
1: Hmm. mm Hmm. Yeah, it's a question that I can't say that I have a a firm answer to. Um, Yeah, neither do I. And, you know, you uh, were expressing some curiosities about the origin, the originating factors to seeking, what what brings that up? And I think that shows up for a number of reasons, Um, but I think the first question anyone can ask themselves is, am I seeking? Am I not at peace? Do I want something different? Am I am I experiencing discomfort or loss or fear or something, anything, um, pain, whatever? And I I think a key piece in reorienting yourself one after you've asked yourself, are you seeking? Wh- that'll make you aware of whether or not you are seeking. Mm. And awareness is the first step. And then the second, I think, would be what is to ask what it is that you seek, and. I think if you're confused about what you're looking for, a way to clarify that can be like, are you seeking to get away from something? Are you seeking to escape discomfort? Uh, And that information is really useful because of that principle of polarity. If one is seeking, it doesn't always bring someone to shit that's good for them. I can be seeking and run into all kinds of situations that are going to fuck my life up and fuck my head up. And we all know this because we've all done this. So, After you've clarified what it is you're trying to get away from, I think it's important to stop seeking to get away from it and instead intentionally seek its opposite. Mm. So if I'm trying to get away from a feeling of loneliness, instead of trying to run from that feeling of loneliness, what do I want to feel instead? Acceptance, understanding, belonging, like stay in that frame. Not because positive psychology will like magically spirit your problems out of your life, but we all do have some measure of control over our actions and thoughts and choices. And it's, we got to remember that, like some of the shit is in our control. And if it is in our control, it would probably behoove us to try to control our world to point in the direction that we want to go and not just keep running from something. Pursue that good thing. Pursue the way you do want to feel. And then the second thing that shows up for me, and I'm being very advicey today. This yeah. is like, Le- this is Lev and Andy advice column, right? But this is something I have experience with. So, you know, I'll share it and people can not listen to me if they don't need to hear this advice because they're, you know, perfectly ascended in every way. <laughs> um, but what's been helpful for me is, is titrating, which is another one of those like words that shows up in woo-woo circles, which is just... Some of you had chemistry class where there's this giant vessel and it comes down to a teeny, teeny, tiny little point. And right next to that point, there's a little screw that you can turn just a little bit at a time and allow a quarter of a droplet of liquid to fall into a container below. That's, yeah. that's titration. You find the exact mixture required to create that, that chemical reaction that you're hoping for. So that idea of, like, do this thing slowly, the first step is just to pause and be aware that you want something, and that is your first step. If you're seeking, okay, like, I want to be free of nicotine, for example, maybe that's your, like, I want to be free of this dependency. I don't. Um, Yeah, no. I Yeah, I'm pretty fine on that front, too, but that's, like, a common, like, change that people want to make, right? That isn't, like... Hugely ideological, but the application ranges really broadly. Um, Buddhist wisdom teaches us that you know you're you're driving past the the little smoke shop where I work, and you're like oh, i'm going get I'm going to get those marbred hundreds right now. I need those American spirit turquoise." and you're like, "No, I can't smoke, I'm not going to smoke." And so you set your goal really high. You tell yourself, I'm going to drive past this shop and I'm not going to pick up the cigarettes. Trust me, don't do that. Not only is that not going to result in you getting what you want out of that circumstance, but it's going to make you feel guilty and terrible when you're not able to live up to that idea. Yeah, precisely. Um,
0: This is the whole basis of behavioral shaping.
1: It's, yeah. So your goal can be, I am going to sit in my car for one minute while I'm experiencing this urge. And this is also known as like urge surfing, right? Like I want to use. Don't try to stop yourself from using. Just tell yourself, I am going to wait a full minute today before I use. Tomorrow, you're going to wait two full minutes. The next day, you're going to wait five minutes, right? Just keep that moment of pause and that will hold you and that will carry you.
0: Advicey, but not so untrue. Oh, advicey. Advicey, but not untrue.
1: Thank you. I hope that's on my tombstone someday.
0: Advicey but not untrue. Yeah. That would be a funny tombstone epitaph for sure. This is Lev. Advicey but not untrue.
1: I'm always trying to collect him. I think it's you know, that will be I, I would feel good on my deathbed knowing I got a witty tombstone epithet. So
0: Once again, friend, I I think we've navigated the the landscape of the world as best we can. For this last hour, uh, trying to raise awareness and consciousness of ideas and ways where human beings can be more intentional in their mental state and emotional state, and recognize that it doesn't have to be as heavily influenced by the world as one might think. And yeah. in that in that journey, that's how we live with the snakes in our garden. I I always walk away from our time together. Just grateful for our relationship. And uh, I want to thank you for doing this work with me on this podcast. And what you recently did helping helping me film the next masterclass for uh, Jumpstart Mastery. Uh, you were just so delightful in it. I'm looking forward for to the world seeing you work in that capacity. It was very impressive to watch you in action.
1: Thank you, Andy. I feel the same about our interactions, too. I'm always surprised by... Like what a wealth of wisdom and sense and power and calm you are. And yeah, after I, um, I think there was one episode, I don't know if it made it into the episode where we had a meeting where I was kind of arguing you down about like, I don't want to be on video. I don't want, I don't want my face. I don't want, I don't want people to see me. I don't want them to need to see me. And now here I am and people are going to see me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, actually that argument at that time i won't call it an argument that discussion really regarded your distaste about editing video more than it had to do with with being on video i mean you did express a distaste for that but it was frankly the ass pain of the software and the video editing that you didn't want anything to do with and uh we'll find a solution for that because i think that the podcast experience would be so enriched if people saw the way you and I interacted with one another and saw your delightful face.
1: Yeah.
0: But with that, friend, until our next episode, great to be with you again. Great to discuss what we discuss, and and we hope that you, our listeners, have taken some meaning and value from it. Thank you so very much.
1: Yeah, thank you. And Andy, if people want to go and find... Uh, these videos that you're discussing because that was um, that's a, that Those are a training video. That's for that's a right series That's coming out. Is that out now or do you have a an end date to that and where do people find it?
0: Thank you so much for asking that so uh, What you participated in was the filming of uh, an online de-escalation training program entitled verbal craft And it's a series so the first master class is actually available now And it's called Fundamentals of Verbal Craft. And it's available at Uh, jumpstartmastery.com. Common spelling. And I would say sometime by April, uh, the Advanced Verbal Craft Response Team uh, Masterclass will be released. And that's the one that you're in. And it's really smart to get Fundamentals of Verbal Craft under the belt before going on to the advanced verbal craft class for the simple reason that yeah right for the simple reason that the advanced class almost has as a prerequisite the concepts and the ideas from the first class under the belt so you can understand how they're applied
1: got it awesome yeah i look forward to to taking a peek at that material and and hopefully seeing some familiar faces in that training
0: thank you so much lev
1: thanks for listening okay bye bye this is love, and you've been listening to Snakes in the Garden podcast. If you have questions or feedback for myself or for Andy, you can email us at podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.